Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. So Team Grace, as you'll recall, during this Advent season, we're walking through the different aspects of the theology, the discipline, and the spirituality, what it means to receive Holy Communion. Today I want to emphasize what philosophy calls egalitarianism. As Americans and Westerners, we are definitely an egalitarian people. The, world, the word, I know it's a, one of those big philosophy words, simply means that we see everything and everyone as being the exact same. We cut through the chase and put everything on the same bottom line. Now there are benefits to this concept, such as our dignity as human persons. We see everyone as having the exact same dignity, regardless of economic status, health, tribal association, or utility. Everyone has dignity. That's a strong egalitarian concept. In fact, we can say that the concept of universal dignity of every human life, every human person, is a gift of the Christian West to the human family. So we can say, go Christian West. But egalitarian, egalitarianism also has its pitfalls. It acknowledges no hierarchy or diversity. It insists that everything, every place, and everyone is exactly the same. And this is where egalitarianism departs from our Christian expression. For certainly, God is not equal to us. God is sovereign to all, infinitely superior to everyone. At least, he should be, right? Of course, we see expressions of God in our culture today that are really only self-expressions of self-worship. People who have projections of themselves, and that's what they worship. My God is okay with this. My God is okay with that. That is idolatry. But beyond that, we know that God is infinitely, the true God is infinitely superior to all. In addition to God, we see a diversity between the talents, intelligences, duties, and powers within the human family. We are all not the same in every area of life. As Christians, we recognize authority. Police, for example, we honor our police, police officers. We stand when a judge enters the courtroom. We recognize higher things as well, such as the flag of our nation or the uniform of our service members. We know that uniform is different than regular clothes. That flag is different than regular banners or displays. We also recognize sacred offices as Christians. This is why we revere the office of our pope, why we give homage to our bishop, why you're supposed to, <clears throat> supposed to respect your pastor. Uh-huh. And of course, there are also sacred things, things of higher importance than others and higher places, such places, sacred places, and sacred actions. So there's a difference. So we can learn from egalitarianism in terms of human dignity, but there's a difference. It's a diversity, a hierarchy beyond our dignity. Okay, let's give some examples. Our parish campus is consecrated ground. Our parish campus is different than the land across the street. This is sacred ground. Now, for some people that immediately provokes, what? No, no, it's all the same. You see, we're culturally egalitarians, right? We want everything to be the same. But suddenly, well, no, that's just regular land. This is consecrated property. We have to begin to renew our understanding of that. Every time I watch popular culture, and I really try not to, okay, I'm always amazed by how popular culture gets this. You watch some vampire movie or some horror movie, they're always running to the church because they understand it's consecrated ground. There's a sanctuary. The bad spirits, the demons have no power in terms of church property. 
So fictionally get it, we have to understand that's a reality. There's a difference. So our parish campus is different than other land. Our worship area, this place here, is more sacred than even our narthex, the, piece, the, the room I can see right through that glass. This worship area is higher, more sacred than even the narthex because this is the throne room of our king. This is where God dwells. This is where we come in order to be with him, to pray to him, to listen to him. So even this room, this worship area, is more sacred than even the other areas and other rooms of this building. And of course, worship itself is higher than any other action. Worship is higher than work. That's an important reminder for people who miss mass because they want to work more. Your work is subordinate to the worship of God. Worship is a sacred action. It's superior to all other things. Receiving Holy Communion is also a sacred act that's also higher than other things. So we can begin to understand the concept of sacred things. And I don't want us to miss that rub that we have in our hearts as Americans and as Westerners because we keep wanting everything to be the same. We see that in terms of people who come and insist on just talking and blabbing all kinds of stuff within this very worship place. Ask them to be quiet and they act offended. Why are you offended when you're asked to be quiet in the presence of our king? One should readily welcome such correction and say, oh, that's right, I'm sorry. But if they're an egalitarian, there's nothing different between that room and this room. Why do I have to go to that room to speak? Egalitarians, we struggle with that. The reception of Holy Communion, that's like every other action. I can say, amen, whatever, keep moving, right? There's no difference in that, whatever. See, we're egalitarians. We have to catch that. We have to temper it and understand, no, there are sacred things. In fact, to guard sacred things from an overreach of egalitarianism, Mother Church surrounds sacred things with customs, traditions, and acts of deference. These are very important. They guard the sacredness, and they also instruct us. So these acts of deference are important. So as a parish and as a people, let's walk through some of the acts of deference that we give to our church building, to the Mass, and to the reception of Holy Communion. First, let's just start with consistency of worship. Dear friends, it should be clear now that you are expected to be at Sunday Mass, every Sunday, and the Holy Days of Obligation. That is binding on your baptism. So those of you who did not join us for the Immaculate Conception this past week, which is a Holy Day of Obligation, you are in grave sin. You need to go to sacramental confession. You should not approach for Holy Communion. You should instead ask for a blessing. You have broke your union with Christ and the church. You disobeyed. You chose not to come to worship. So that is very important. And the first thing we have to do if we're going to worship God is be consistent. We have to be here according to his commands. We have to humble ourselves and allow his grace to work in us. So first, it's just showing up. And then when we do show up, we have to be prepared. Dear friends, this Mass is the most important thing you do all week. The most sacred, the superior action you do all week. It requires a little bit of preparation. It merits preparation. So to carve out some time in order to prepare. During ordinary time, we walk through the Mass in terms of the readings, how Mother Church uses the scriptures in order for you to understand. You should carve out time, look at the readings, look at the prayers, do some spiritual reading, try to understand and prepare your soul so that you can come and be attentive. This means, of course, that you carve out time during the week or that you come early in order to prepare well. Also, in terms of preparation, you should try to be here early. We still have Christians who come in at the last minute or are even late. 
I realize that something, sometimes things happen in a fallen world, but we should not be late to Mass. In fact, I did not intend it. When we started the Angelus at the beginning of Mass, it seems Our Lady is correcting many of her children in terms of being late to Mass because we have the Angelus and we have so many people in the narthex who are coming late. Dear friends, why don't you set the resolution that you come 15 minutes before Mass, or at least 15 minutes, right, in order to prepare well. That way, if things do happen, you're here. This is the most important thing you do all week. This is unlike anything else you do. And it requires preparation. So to be here on time, to be here early, to prepare. Also, let's talk about our dress. How we dress for Mass. When did it become permissible for people to come dressed in a sloppy fashion or to wear casual street clothes, shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops, these type of things? We do not wear those at worship, dear friends. Let's look at salvation history. In salvation history, when we were slaves in Egypt and God wanted to liberate us, we turned to our Egyptian masters and we asked them, can we borrow your gold so we can make ourselves beautiful as we worship our God? And you know the Egyptian masters, because they understood worship, even though they could be a treacherous people, they gave us their gold so we could go and worship God. We went out into the desert with the gold in order to worship God. <laughs> then we stole it. <laughs> it's okay, it was for back pay for 400 years of slavery, huh? But to present ourselves, when you come on the Lord's Day to Mass, you are presenting yourself before the living God. Oftentimes people will say, God doesn't care how you dress. What scriptures are you reading? Because actually, God cares very much how we dress for Mass. In fact, one of the parables of the Lord, he tells us someone is thrown from the banquet into the outer darkness because they were not dressed well. No, God wants us to prepare ourselves well, to look presentable, beautiful, as we worship him. And of course, do not, in these moments, try to hide behind the poor. Everyone wants to use the poor as a shield. Well, you know, the ones who don't have the money, I can tell you right now, the families of our parish who struggle the most are the best dressed because the poor understand worship. The poor understand the sovereignty of God. Oftentimes it's the middle class or the upper class who think they don't have to present themselves well for God. They can just come however they want. No, dear friends, we present ourselves well. We dress well for Mass. There was a time culturally when we could speak about our Sunday best because we wore our best on Sundays as we presented ourselves to God. So I think we can do better at Grace. Let's also talk about the Eucharistic fast. Mother Church, in the most severe of her fasts, tells us we can only have water and medicine an hour before receiving Holy Communion. So if you have that last sip of coffee as you're walking out and you broke the fast, do not approach for Holy Communion. Ask for a blessing. You have broken the fast. And honestly, dear friends, we've got the wimp's version, don't we? There was a time when the fast was from midnight, hence the first meal of the West, the break fast. And then it was changed to three hours. In the 1960s, it was changed to an hour before Holy Communion. Not even Mass, Holy Communion. And we observe the fast. If you break the fast, do not approach for Holy Communion. With that in mind, let's talk about gum. My goodness. You might be shocked. Like, how? why does this guy keep talking about gum all the time? Well, come stand up here and look. It's a shock. It's absolutely shocking. It's not the teenagers. Go teenagers. You're doing great. It's the adults who are chomping on gum during worship. We do not chew gum in the sacred place. We do not. Spit it out before you come in. And if you've been chewing gum, you're breaking the fast. So do not approach for Holy Communion. 
I've always wondered when I'd see people just chomping on gum, what do they do with that gum when they approach for Holy Communion? Of course, I hope they're not approaching for Holy Communion, but we do not chew gum. This is a sacred place. We take on a different behavior, a different demeanor for this sacred place, this sacred action. We do not chew gum. What about our phones? Please just turn off your phones and leave them in your car. There's no need for you to bring your phone into this place. Just by having your phone, you're automatically distracted. We keep the phones outside. Incidentally, Mother Church would prefer that you not even use your phones in order to follow the readings. Sometimes people say, well, I like to use my phone, I can enlarge it. Buy a book with large print. Once you have your phone, there's distraction. Electronical devices are not preferred during worship. They are kept out. In fact, the church expressly forbids them at the altar. I cannot use an electronic device for the prayers. She recommends that the faithful not use electronical devices. And dear friends, in general, we want to keep secular thoughts outside. There's a lot on our minds, a lot of things on our hearts. Trust me, they will all be waiting for you when you leave. You can give yourself this hour or so in order to be at peace, to commune with God. God has a powerful message he wants to give to each of us, a message of hope, peace, reconciliation, love. But if we're so distracted, we can't hear what he wants to say to us. So we can leave our phones off and outside. And I have to address texting. We have people who text during worship. And not just the teenagers. This one's both teenagers and adults. Who are you texting? Who is more important than God? You are literally in his presence. Who is more important? And does the person that you're texting know that you're texting them during worship? Because I suspect anyone of goodwill would be kind of caught off guard by that. We do not text during Mass. If absolutely necessary, you leave the worship place in order to text. But I hope you don't even have your phones with you. What about talking? Dear friends, we do not talk in the church. We do not talk in this worship environment. This is the throne of our, of our king. We show that deference. By our silence and our ability to whisper where we must speak, we are acknowledging his presence. We are showing him homage. So we don't talk before Mass. We don't talk after Mass. After Mass is the one that I think we struggle with. Because you're walking out and you just start talking. We do not talk. You wait till you get outside into the narthex. And what about talking during Mass? Do you know, dear friends, there are people who talk during Mass? Even during this homily so far, there have been a couple conversations. Huh? How shocking is that? Dear friends, we have lost the sense of the sacredness of the Mass. We have lost the sense of the sacredness of the Mass. And this is a gift given to us by Jesus Christ. We have to reclaim the sacredness, the distinctiveness of this worship. We do not talk during Mass. If absolutely necessary, you go out into the narthex to speak. We don't speak during the Mass. In fact, dear friends, I have to tell you that oftentimes during the offertory, when I'm facing the altar and preparing the bread and wine for sacrifice, there's so much conversation, I can actually hear it. Because there's so, much pe- so many people talking. We don't do that during the Mass. Speaking about sacred moments, let's just highlight two. First, let's go back to the offertory. You know, the offertory, that's an important part of the Mass for you. As members of the baptized, we have a lot of work to do during the offertory. In fact, it's so sacred that here at Our Lady of Grace, I do not have the basket passed for the offertory. Our business office tells me that I lose about $2,000 every weekend. You know, because the basket's passed, it's the guilt offering, right? (laughs) So we lose about $2,000. You know what my response is? That's $2,000 well spent because I don't want you distracted during the offertory. Also, we do not sing a hymn during the offertory. I don't want you worrying about a hymnal. 
I want you closing your eyes. I want you praying. I want you fulfilling the spiritual duties of the offertory, which means during the offertory, you offer your whole life to God. Close your eyes. Offer him. What's hurt you? What has scared you? What has given you hope? What has filled you with joy? You give God your whole life. You place your life here on the altar as we prepare for the sacrifice. That offertory is very important. St. Paul tells us, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, I beg you by the mercies of God. This is St. Paul. I beg you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, and allow for the transformation of your mind that you might know what is good and pleasing to your Father in heaven. The offertory is sacred. It's not an intermission. It's not a time for chit-chat. It is a sacred time, and there is a spiritual duty that the baptized must perform. So I encourage you, use that offertory well. And what about the consecration? Literally the moment where the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. Mother Church surrounds it by customs. We kneel. There are bells making the point this is sacred. And yet still during the consecration itself, I will so people get up. Where are you possibly going? Literally the angels are prostrate around this altar. Heaven and earth are worshiping God. We got someone running around the halls out there. Focus, dear friends, focus. Understand what is happening here. Jesus Christ is representing his sacrifice to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity, because of our baptism, to be a part of it. We are at Calvary. Have you not read the Passion narratives as they mocked Christ? And we are there at Calvary. And there are some among us who literally at Calvary are chatting and chewing gum and showing disrespect. We have lost the understanding of the Mass and we must reclaim it. Be aware of where you are, in whose presence you are, and be attentive. Be attentive. The consecration is the most sacred moment in human history. Literally, heaven and earth are connected. That's a powerful moment for you as the baptized. You can ask God for anything. The person that you are particularly worried about, that you care about, the situation that's causing you distress, you can offer that person or that situation there at the consecration, that powerful moment. We do not lose that as members of the baptized. We claim the sacredness of the Mass. What about Holy Communion? We've spoken the last two weeks about receiving Holy Communion in the state of grace. What about practically receiving Holy Communion? Do you realize, dear friends, that Mother Church prefers that you receive Holy Communion on the tongue? On the tongue. That's her venerable and noble ancient custom. The custom of the entire universal church and all the rites and churches of the universal Catholic Church. However, some countries have permission, a unique, awkward permission, to receive Holy Communion in the hand. We are one of those countries. I have a personal opinion about that, but so be it. The church permits it. So if you receive on the hand, one hand goes on top of the other. Do not put them side by side. What are you doing? One on top of the other. You receive the host. You consume immediately. Do not walk away. And then afterwards, you check your palm for any particles of the host, and you consume them if you should have any. I remember some time ago I was speaking about the church's preference for communion on the tongue. And suddenly everybody wants to claim Pope Francis, right? Say, so, oh, well, Pope Francis, he wouldn't care. Actually, when the Holy Father receives Holy Communion, he receives on the tongue. In Argentina, you are not allowed to receive on the hand. We are one of only a few countries that permit it. 
So the preference is on the tongue. If you receive on the hand, just receive it reverently. Receive Holy Communion reverently. And make sure that you follow the proper protocols to make sure that you are doing due homage to the Blessed Sacrament. What about restroom visits? Dear friends, I encourage you, please try to use the bathroom before worship. Parents, please do your best with your children. And I realize that there are times we just have to use the bathroom, and certainly I want you to go if you have to. But it's getting kind of ridiculous. There are times in which we have up to five people moving. Our architecture is a shell. If one person moves, the entire part of the other part of the congregation is looking. There are some children, I tell you, every week during my homily, they got to go to the bathroom. Huh? The same children at the same time. I want to tell those parents, they got you. They got you. You need to tell that child to stay. They need to learn discipline. We should watch ourselves. It should be rare that we have to exit the worship area in order to use the restroom. We prepare ourselves beforehand. It's important that we're aware of this, dear friends. And then what about with children in general? I just ask that the parents be as attentive and have a strategy. So we have this wonderful mass training room. We compose that with the idea that parents can train their children to worship. It's not a playroom. It's not a cry room. It's a mass training room. And then there are times when parents want to have their children in the main church, which is great. We want to support them. But I just ask that you have a strategy. Perhaps sit on this side of the church. So if the children begin to misbehave, you can take them right into the mass training room. Now I ask that, but I will say there is a slight entertainment when the child's way over here and begins to cry, and we get to hear the child cry the whole way, right? Do you remember a couple months ago as they were moving the child, and I think the child yelled out something like, don't spank me, right? <laughs> parents bright red, like, be quiet, what are you talking about, right? So we just ask the parents, have a strategy, do your best. And then lastly, Team Grace, I just want to speak about leaving Mass early. We do not leave until the Mass is done. If you leave Mass early, you're showing a great disrespect to the sacrifice and to the sacredness of what we're doing. We stay for the duration. And perhaps some of you are saying, why does he keep talking about this? Because believe it or not, Team Grace, as much as I talk about it, there are still people who will do it. It's shocking to imagine a priest is getting up. These, these are not the type of homilies I enjoy giving to walk through our protocols, our acts of deference, our customs, our traditions, and then still within the very mass to have someone do that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to Padre Pio. Do you know what Padre Pio would do? If someone left mass early, he'd pray to that person's guardian angel to discipline them. So I'm just going to ask your guardian angel, leave mass early, I'm going to ask him to discipline you. That's better than Philip Neary. Philip Neary used to send two altar boys with lit candles to follow the person if they left mass early, huh? So if you ever see the altar boys lined up outside with candles, you're like, uh-oh, Kirby's stepping it up, right? <laughs> but I pray we don't have to do that, that our reverence, our sense of sacred will prevail, and that we will show the love we have for the Lord and for this holy sacrifice. So dear friends, we are egalitarians. We have a struggle in our hearts. I'm going to encourage you to look at the traditions and the customs of Mother Church, see why she has given them to us, is to protect what is sacred. I encourage you to examine your own hearts to see how you, how each of us can do better, how we can be more attentive, so that when we come to worship, we are performing a sacred action in a sacred place, in a sacred way. And that's all the Lord asks, is that we keep trying to do our best and give him true spirit, true worship in spirit and truth.